Hey, podcast listeners, have you been to the forum in a while? You need to go there today. We spent a lot of time, a lot of resources improving the, the software behind the scenes. If you don't want to read politics stuff, you just click a button. All of that's gone. We've got way better moderation. The forum has always been the lifeline of the site, and now it's way better than ever. Go to letsrun.com slash forum today. Hello everyone, welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. This is your co-host Jonathan Galt, and I am pleased to report that Robert Johnson and I have returned from Serbia and the World Athletics Indoor Championships. We saw gold medals from RJ Wilson, Grant Holloway, Ethiopians in the 1500 and 3000, both genders, a historic sweep there in the distance events. Jakob Ingebrigtsen and Ryan Krauser were shockingly upset. Neither of them won gold in Belgrade. We saw one of the greatest 60-meter races in history, Marcel Jacobs of Italy, the Olympic champion taking down world outdoor champion Christian Coleman. We saw world records from Ulamar Rojas and Mondo Duplantis. We saw a world record tied by Grant Holloway. All of that in an incredible final day of action on Sunday. And we'll talk about some other stuff that didn't happen in Belgrade. The New York City Half Marathon was over the weekend. We'll discuss that. Wins by Ronex Cabrudo and Semberto Ferry and a DNF from Galen Rupp. And then we'll talk about a few guys who weren't at World Indoors. Cooper and Cole Hawker, who chose to go to Stanford instead of Belgrade to run a 5,000-meter time trial. Plus, we've ho- there are rumblings out of Kenya. Asbel Kiprop, after a four-year APO ban, he might be back. Anyway, I see Robert Johnson here. Weldon Johnson... I see you virtually. Basically, it was me and Robert from Belgrade. We didn't have a ton of contact. You weren't joining us for the nightly recaps on camera. So it's good to see you again. How have you, how have you been, Weldon? Nightly recaps? I thought you guys were on vacation. Indoors? People don't care about indoors, John. I've been, I've been covering the outdoor action, the New York City Half Marathon, Fred Curley, 20.04, Aspel Kiprop, racing a track race. I was wondering where you guys were. I mean, I didn't even realize there was a World Indoor Championships this weekend. Everyone else skipped it. Speaking of skipping things, gentlemen, Rojo here. I have some breaking news. Weldon can confirm this. This is not fake news. I have let the people at USATF know, as well as World Athletics, that I will be skipping the World Outdoor Championships. I will not be covering it in person as a media member. As a media member, until I ha- until I am broadcasting the Olympics, until I have the gold medal of my my profession, the Olympic gold, the broadcasting as NBC's main telecommentator, I'm not going to bother with a minor championship like this. Everybody knows that there's never any medals handed out two years before an Olympics of any consequence. There's not even supposed to be a world outdoors. So I will be just, I happen to go to world indoors because it worked well for my schedule, but world outdoors impossible to get to Eugene. No. So Cooper and Cole and Josh Kerr. Sorry guys. I'm going to skip that minor meet. 
I'll see you. Hopefully, you make the team in um, Paris. So what are you going to be doing? Are you going to be covering a time trial that weekend to get your your accreditation for Paris 2024, Robert? I'll be just getting better, just improving my fitness. Um, I may do like a podcast with three listeners, uh, something like that. I'm not sure what, but long term, I just cannot let this minor 2022. I made my plans, you know, for Paris 2024 to rise to the top of the profession. My son will be like eight years old by then. Ahead of time, I wasn't planning on there even being any meets in 2022. It's all thrown off now. I'll probably go to BU, maybe broadcast in there, something, just practice my voiceovers, etc. For those that don't know, media credentials are due in two days. And I was like, Robert, you need to apply the biggest track meet in America and probably since what, the LA Olympics? Atlanta Olympics, but close. Oh, good point, John. Missed one in there. And Rojo can't be there. Great, you know, advertising network potential, but he's going to go to NCAs. He said possibly USA Outdoors. Doesn't work for his schedule. So... I will be there. John will be there. Robert, you said earlier Eugene's hard to get to. I mean, you just flew to Serbia, and I'm surprised you got out because you needed a COVID test, and you didn't have one yet on the morning of your flight, but somehow you managed it and got home. I think Eugene's easier to get to for an American than Serbia. I'm glad to hear you'll be at NCAAs, hopefully. You still haven't gone to the new Haywood Field, which I don't know what your feelings are on the old one being torn down, but... The new one's pretty great. It is the best track and field facility in the country. So I'm glad you'll get to check it out. But also, you guys realize the final day of the World Outdoor Championships, it's July 24th. It's Let's Run.com Founders Day. They're setting this up for you, the final day, and only one of the brothers Johnson will be in attendance for it. John, I, I predict Robert is there. We should have some huge blowout parties. Spon- anyone want to sponsor it go ahead I mean, the home of elite track and field fans in the world the united states let's run.com at the birthplace of track and field in america on the birth Wait, well, date that's a little the birthplace of track and field in america is eugene no it's the birthplace of nike i, I mean there's been track and field in america before phil knight came along hey john i need some of that hayward what's it called hayward magic money on the birthday of let's run.com. I, I was thinking I might go out the first weekend. I may have to be the second week and we'll have a blowout party. Anyway, should be great, but we did have a world championships this weekend. Granted an indoor one and not all the stars showed up, but I enjoyed the action from Serbia. You guys were there in person. We did have nightly recap shows for supporters club members, but big picture, you have had some time to adjust to the jet lag, adjust to the world's, what are your big picture thoughts on world indoors, 2022 Serbia? I loved it. I love Belgrade. It was cheap. Everybody was friendly, felt very safe. It's a little weird to see some people wearing Putin t-shirts, but cool people. Reminds oh, me of Texas. You didn't see anyone wearing a Putin t-shirt. We saw them for sale in a park. I did not see anyone buying them or wearing them. Fair enough. Anyways, some guy said, hey, we're the Texas of Europe. So, reminded me of my home. But I love being there. I thought the championships were amazing. I really did. Like, I, Mars, I mean, Marcel Jacobs versus Christian Coleman. How cool was that? And we just have to have people 
showing up for these championships, and we have to have more than one major. It's very disturbing to me that Co-op or Coopertier are, are skipping this meet. Uh, who's the Olympic 1,500-meter bronze medalist? I said his name earlier. I've already forgotten his name. Josh Kerr. Josh Kerr's on some full track podcast apparently saying, until I win Olympic or World Championship gold, I can't bother with these minor medals. That's like a tennis player saying, until I win Wimbledon, I can't bother with the Australian Open. Like, this has got to change. It should, it should start with Nike. Why don't they change the contract so that people show up? But anyways, you had an amazing sprint matchup that lived up to the hype. You had a ton of world records. I mean, I'm, I've actually learned a lot about the triple jump since the world record was set. And now, because one of the guys that I used to coach that was on the team, excuse me, when I was at Cornell, found out he's one of the top triple jump coaches in the world. He was on my flight back. We talked triple jump. I've learned a lot about that. But that woman's amazing. Mondo's amazing. Um, but there were big picture wise, you know, I, I think that it was just a lot of fun. Like, there's a reason why they hold the meet. Going into that meet, I thought, well, we know who's going to win four of the distance races. Keely Hodgson's going to win the eight, women's 800. Jacob Ingebrigtsen's going to win the men's 1500. Um, Daiwat Siam's going to win the women's uh, 3000. I don't think that was. A, I don't think that was a given. Oh, and Gudolf Sege, maybe I'm missing one. Gudolf Sege was going to win the 500. We had four that we thought for sure, right? Am I missing one? Anyways, of those races, one person won what we thought was going to happen. So it was exciting to have upsets. Um, yeah, it was a terrific we- weekend. And, you know, we talk- there's been a lot of talk about the stars who didn't show up, but many of them did. I mean, Grant Holloway's there. Mondo Duplantis is there. Ulamar Rojas is there. Ryan Krause is there. Jakob Ingebrigtsen. When those athletes show up, when the very best in their events show up, those events mean something. I mean, Coleman and Jacobs, I'm going to be talking about that race for some time. That was freaking awesome, especially because we, you know, the 60 is basically, it's supposed to be Coleman's event and Marcel Jacobs comes in there and upsets him. So there are three things I'm really going to remember from the weekend. And by the way, I did enjoy Serbia. Behind the scenes, media-wise, there are a couple of technical issues the first couple of days. You guys don't need to hear about them. But you know, in terms of a host city, I enjoyed staying there. I thought it was good. Like Robert said, most of the food was pretty cheap. We did run into some trouble with some of the cab fares, but you know, if you really want the details on that, you can email me or whatever. But anyway, my three big things that I'm going to remember from this weekend, one was the Jacobs versus Coleman showdown. We already talked about that in our recap. We talked about it a little here, but lived up to the hype, you know, as close as a 60 meter race can be as exciting as drama filled, as a 60 meter race can be. And it really sets the stage for what should be a terrific world championships in Eugene this summer, but also perhaps the sprint rivalry of the 2020s. Jacobs is 27. Coleman is 26. So you can imagine th- those two going right at it all the way through Paris and going for the title that Jacobs owns and the one that Coleman would have been favored to win last year. Maybe there's some revisionist history now. Would, you know, everyone's saying, oh, Christian Coleman would have won Worlds last year. I don't, you know, would he? We're not totally sure on that. So that was really awesome to see that showdown. Personally, just I've covered RJ Wilson basically since I got into the sport in for Let's Run in 2014. And she's been through a lot. She's always been classy and, you know, graceful. It's a pleasure to watch her run. It's a pleasure to cover her. And she's been put in a tough situation. We've talked about it. We spent probably all of 2019 talking about it, the hyperandrogenism situation. You know, that's that was that was really when it ended, but 
from 2016 through 2018, she was facing athletes who had, you know, way more testosterone than her in events. It was tough to see her finally win a gold medal on the global stage and just sort of the, the palms out gesture as she crosses the finish line. It was a combination of relief and joy. I, I'm going to remember that race, a very well-deserved gold medal for RJ Wilson. And then I'm going to remember the final session. I talked about last year, the Olympic trials, that final day when we had a thing mo, we had the world record world record in the 400 hurdles by Sydney McLaughlin. We had that epic Centrowitz Hawker duel. And then we had Noah Lyles and Arian Knight in a 200. That was one of my favorite days of track and field I've ever been to. And the final session in Belgrade is way up there. Everyone I talked to who was in the building couldn't believe it because already you've got a huge, loud, exciting atmosphere because Ivana Valeda, the Serbian star in the long jump, was competing. And anytime she stepped up, the crowd would go nuts. It was by far the biggest attendance of the entire championships was that session. So that was a great atmosphere. And then you add in what we got in the events. We had a world record from Mondo de Plantis in the pole vault. We had Grant Holloway tie the world record and then win gold. We had an upset in the 1500 with Inga Brixen. And then we had the gold medal from RJ Wilson that I already talked about. And then a very good men's four by four as well with Belgium winning there. So, and of course, uh, Valeda, the Serbian long jumper, won the gold medal. So you throw all that in, two world records in a session and a home gold, terrific upset in the 1500. That was a really, really fun night of track and field to be there for. I got to call you out for one thing, John. A 306 four by four? Come on. Half the college teams in America could have smoked Belgium. Everything else sounded great. Quickly, was the crowd nuts for the Serbian? Were they really, really into the long jump? Yes. Like every time they would say, you know, she's on the runway, the crowd would start clapping and screaming. And yeah, when she won the gold, it was, it it erupted. I mean, it was, yeah, it was a really, really good atmosphere for it. Yes. It's a reminder, folks. If you're not a subscriber, member of our supporters club, go to letsrun.com slash subscribe and join today because at the end of the podcast, I will talk about John's. Troubles on the cabs and our St. Patrick's Day exploits. How I may be too old to be going out on St. Patrick's Day. All of that at the end of the show for the VIPs. But yes, well, the crowd was going nuts for for the Serb. I mean, people on the street knew who she was. I asked a couple of people like at the airport. Um, I think it was the only medal they won. They put it on the last day for a reason. That was pretty cool. If you're talking big picture for me, I mean, yes, the track and field action was cool, but I think of sometimes a lot of things from a, I can't get the coaching part of my life. I spent a decade of my life as a coach. And I just, and also I've spent 20 plus years as a media member. And I think I saw the intersection of these two. I feel like a lot of Americans are spoiled brats and they don't know how to lose. And they throw fits. They jump fences to, to avoid the mix zone. They won't talk to us, etc. And I saw repeatedly in Belgrade the biggest stars of the sport lose and then not then be happy to talk to the media about it. And they weren't devastated. They weren't crying, et cetera. They were being, you know, accepting their loss, quote unquote, like a man or a woman. But, you know, even talking about the sprints, Coleman and Jacobs. 
They have to wait for 80 seconds to figure out who wins. Jacobs wins. He's celebrating on his back on the track. Christian Coleman, class act, went up to him, picked him up, congratulated him. And then in the mix, in, in the press conference afterwards, Jacobs like, yeah, well, my goal was just to be as close to Coleman as possible. Like, he was going in here willing to lose the race. He just wanted to see how close he could get. There was no failure in that. But, and then um, I guess the next big loss was, was Krauser before Ingebrigtsen? It was, right, John? It was the same session. So I don't know exactly who was before who. Yeah, I think Krauser came in first. I thought, oh, this guy hasn't lost in years. He, he, it's fascinating to me. He was very focused on himself. Like I'm throwing this, my, my shell hurts. I don't think he really pays attention to other people. I'm sure he wants to win, but it's about like, he's focused on the process. And then Ingebrigtsen, you know, I, I thought he said it was a lot of fun. And I just, there's so many people, they're not having fun. We're having so many professional athletes quit. I mean, yesterday, the 25 year old number one ranked tennis player in the world just quits the sport. They're not enjoying it. Ingebrigtsen, is enjoying it even in a loss. I think it's cool to be here with this big field, and you know this is why this is this guy shows up at World Cross and gets his ass handed to him. It's okay to lose as long as you're having fun and getting better, trying to get better as a runner. So, well, I say that, then he made up this COVID excuse. You guys actually believe he tested positive for COVID, or is that just? A... You think he just has that photo like banked in his screenshots for like from like two months, and he just pulls it out as soon as he loses? I like the conspiracy theory, but I don't think that's the case. Well, those Photoshop COVID tests certainly helped me get into the country. I'm only halfway kidding, people. I did all the tests. I did like four or five tests, but uh, I did want to make sure the one that they, the one they emailed me didn't have my name on it. It was hard to explain to them, so I may or may not have had also a hard copy of a Photoshopped version that may or may have been the one that the Border Patrol saw. All right. I want to talk uh, – let's take a U.S. distance – view of this meet just briefly because this is what pe- most of our listeners come in to at least get our opinions on we had three medals for the americans we had a gold from rj wilson we had a silver from ellie paria st pierre and we had a bronze from bryce hopple robert I'll, I'll throw it to you do you think that's a good hole average or below average how do you grade the americans as a whole i think it's a good you know it's about what we expected to be honest I mean, I thought Josette Norris was, was going to medal, but did I think Perrier was going to medal? I can't remember. So, given what we had there, I think I thought it was a pretty good result. What about you? Yeah, I think it was pretty good. You know, I think once Keely Hodgkinson withdrew, I view Ajay as the favorite for gold, and she delivered more than delivered. She dominated that field over the last lap, so that was encouraging. I thought Bryce Hall. Had very good odds to met, get a medal. He was a little disappointed with bronze, but you know, unless you're clearly the best guy in the field, it's just eight hundred indoor eight hundreds are tough to navigate. So, getting a medal out there, I would say that's a success for him. And then Ellie Paria Saint Pierre, you know, this wasn't even her plan. She was supposed to run the fifteen hundred. She didn't even make the U.S. team. She shows impressive resilience, bounce back, dominates the field at USA's, almost wins the world indoor title. She wasn't that far behind Lem Lem Hailu in that race. So that's definitely, I would say, I mean, I'm not shocked that Paria St. Pierre won a medal there, but we thought going in, there were five women who could medal for three, only three medals. So for her to get the silver and finish second, definitely a success for her. And then, like you said, Robert, Josette Norris, I do think 
given how that race played out, especially that it was fairly quick, that she only needed to run 403 to get a medal and she couldn't do it. I do think that's a disappointment. But overall by the Americans, yeah, pretty encouraging showing, especially since a number of the top top American distance runners did not run this meet. John, you're right. That was disappointing. We were kind of afraid to say it, but it was. And then, you know, Ellie Perrier, it's interesting because for a minute there, I thought she was going to win it. I still think the silver is a good result, but there's two ways to think about it. I mean, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, she beat a 14-14 woman. She also beat the world number one, Siam. And she beat Gabrielle Debu Stafford, who I thought was going to win the race. So if you're Gabrielle Debu Stafford, you've got to be very upset about that, more so than even just uh, Norris. Um, so that's all positive for Perrier's silver medal. On the negative side is, this is how competitive the world is, she lost to somebody who didn't even make the Olympic final last year. So, you know, there were like some good people that weren't necessarily getting the attention beforehand. Like even the women's 800. Uh, was that Lemlim Hailu that got the silver? No, for Wayne Hailu. For Wayne Hailu got the silver. And, you know, I'd forgotten about her because she's was fourth in the Olympic 1500. Doesn't make their team because she ran 402, 403, and four straight 1500s. All of them, she was the third 1500 meter runner for Ethiopia this year. And then drops down to the 100 and gets a medal there. So kind of interesting. I think three medals for the U.S. was about as expected. Ajay getting gold was great. Ellie Pereira looked great. She could have gotten the gold. Uh, the problem for her is she, w- what event is she, guys? Is she a 5K runner or a 1500 runner outdoors? I think it actually worked out better for her. I think the 3K is her best event right now. Yeah, I think we had this debate in Belgrade. I think we both settled as she has to be the 15 because if you want to be competitive for medals in the 5K, you really need to be able to run quite a bit under 14.30. And I don't think she's shown that. Whereas she has shown she soloed a couple of 358s last year. If she can get down into 356, 357 shape this year, which her coach Mark Coogan believed she was in last year, yeah, she could get a medal especially if Hassan's not running the event. It's going to be tough with all the Ethiopians, but I could see a situation where she medals in the 15. I think it's harder to see that situation materializing in the 5K, especially when you've got someone like, you know, Gide or Sagai or Hassan who might just want to push the pace and make it into a really quick race. Before you asked me what I thought about the three medals, John, I thought you were going to ask me who is the biggest winner from America in this meeting. I like to challenge people, make them think. I was going to say Grant Fisher. What, because Mark Scott medaled in the 3K? The transit property? Two reasons. Two reasons. You know, everyone, when when Grant Fisher runs 1253 and 26-33, everyone's like, oh, he better win gold. Who who, who wins it, him or Ingebrigtsen in the 5,000? What? Who's saying that? Please meet me one person who's saying Grant Fisher better win gold this summer. Oh, there was a message board thread. Who wins, Ingebrigtsen or Fisher in the 5,000? I'm just saying expectations went a lot, a lot. And I was trying to point out to people, look, there's some really starts. The three guys in the 10K that beat him, they got the medals, were significantly ahead of him on that last lap. And then you had Barahano Aragawe, who was just one spot ahead of Fisher in the 10 in the Olympics. But he runs 726 indoor 3,000. So I'm like, Fisher's gotten better, but so has this guy. But he had only run that one race, and then he shows up at Worlds and doesn't even make the final. So it's pretty obvious he's been hurt. Damn, he looked terrible, too. I mean, you don't make the final of the 3,000. That's pretty bad. So 
you know, I know he's got four months to get it together, but you've got to be in tip top shape. So that helps Fisher. Um, well, he's got to be fitter than before that because to make the Ethiopian team, you're probably going to need to run some fast times. I don't know if they're going to have a trials race, but normally you've got to clock some fast times early in the Diamond League season. So he's got to be fitter before July. Very good point. That's why the Americans have it a lot easier than these other countries, particularly Ethiopia, because they got to run. Those guys are trying to make a living and they need to bang out times because they'd always pick it by the fastest time. But I say that. I was thinking more from an American perspective, but if we, if we include the internationals, and this actually hurts Grant Fisher's medal odds, biggest winner might have been Samuel Tafera. I mean, um, Salomon Borrega. Salomon Borrega. Thank you, John. I mean, Samuel Tafera was a pretty big winner too, taking down Ingebrigtsen. We can get to him in a minute, but you know, Borrega, Olympic ten thousand champ, doesn't get to run the five thousand at the Olympics because the Ethiopians were dominant and let Betty double. Hey, he drops down to the three. Like, hey, guys, I'm pretty fast down here at three. I can win this, too. So, and, I mean, sorry, Grant. Sorry, um, Americans. But you can blame John and I because we went out of our way to ask him, hey, do you want a double? I'm sure that the Ethiopian Federation is fluent in English and reading of our recaps. But we repeatedly let it be known, like, hey, do you want a double? Should you double? Wouldn't it be great for the sport if you doubled? And he said, yeah, so I guess if he ends up instead of Aragawe, then that hurts Fisher's chance. Robert, don't knock it. I believe our podcast has been featured on Ethiopian radio before. So if you're just joining this, you can reach us by phone, one eight four four. let us run What's the real number, Robert? 844-538-7786. That's also a text line. We would love to hear from you. I mean, we're the number one Olympic podcast for track and field for a reason i think right that one according to who john i mean come on i'd like to think that but i i do like still reality like what are you using for the criteria that we're the, best, we're the best most widely cited in olympic sport i don't no one really covers professional running as a sport on their podcast they might have a few puff peeps interviews but i i think it's pretty much understood quoted on the ethiopian radio but, Robert, I started a thread, biggest winners and losers from World Indoor, started it today, so we're definitely twins and think alike. Ethiopia as a whole, I mean, they got they dominated this meet distance-wise. It's amazing how poor Kenya does now. They've really fallen off the map. But Ethiopia, and I know it's hard to make the team, but I'm hoping their federation thinks from this, like, we need to let our best guys double. Borrega looks like he could be a superstar, but give him two chances. Two bites at the apple. And I think what you guys were saying about Pierre St. Pierre, yeah, you better be like a 14-15 woman if you think you want a medal. I don't think she's there yet. But if Carissa Swizer is a 14-25 woman, how far can she be, you know? If Coco Klosterhofen... As a medalist, you can't rule it out. That is what happens sometimes. Is like a, the Olympic five k is is harder to medal in the, than the World Championship five k. Like sometimes these events get diluted. Remember twenty fifteen, Emily Infeld medals in the ten k at Worlds. That field wasn't amazing. You know, you didn't have uh, Meseret Defar or Tiranesh Dababa in that race. So this does happen from time to time. You can sort of 
luck into a somewhat weaker field. But yeah, well, in terms of winners and losers, I mean, I have to say, I mean, RJ Wilson getting the gold and also perhaps showing that she's back to her vintage RJ Wilson form. We'll have to wait until outdoors to see how she stacks up against the new young queens, a thing Mo and Keely Hodgkinson. But that was definitely a good step for her. And then I have to say Marcel Jacobs. We already mentioned him before, but you know he won the Olympics in the 100 and the 4 by one But to come in against Christian Coleman, who probably before then, I think you would say is the greatest 60-meter runner of all time. He has the three fastest times in history. He was the world champion in 2018. Jacobs beats him in an event where Coleman is supposed to have this incredible start and Jacobs comes on and gets him before the line. You see... Wow, if he's running six four one in March, what can he do outdoors? He ran nine eight one nine nine eight zero in the Olympic final last year. I'd say this was a big. You know, we, he's already the Olympic champion, so you can't say like, "Oh, wow, he's finally proved himself." But there were people like Robert, there were doubters who before this year said that was a fluke. He won't even make the final in Eugene, and now I would think you probably have to say he's the favorite to win the final in Eugene. How does he lose? If he's beating Coleman at 60, why wouldn't he be doing at 100? I agree. I mean, big picture-wise, he's by far the biggest winner of this thing. I mean, this guy could have, you think, theoretically lost a lot of money. He shows up as the Olympic champion, gets smoked, and then he's going to get no appearance fees, or not big ones. You know, I heard one of the reasons why, one of Scuttlebutt's was, one reason why he didn't want to run after Olympics is he wouldn't get the huge appearance fees that a Bolt would get because he's not Bolt would put 20,000 people in the stands. Does this guy put people in the stands? I'll tell you this much. I mean, maybe it's just because he's announced as the Olympic 100-meter champ and people know that's like the king of the, of the, of the, of the, the you know, the, the king of the jungle or whatever it is. Huge ovations every time that guy was in the starting blocks. By far the largest of anyone in the field except for the, the Serbians. I mean totally move the needle and i think he's got that charisma that you need to be the best in the world so yeah i i I, huge winner for me i mean i I said he'd never break 10 again no this guy's gonna be i'd be shocked if he's not in the nine sevens this year i mean it was obvious to me and i'm not a sprint expert but like you watched him in the prelims and stuff i was telling john i'm like coleman had better be way ahead of him john because he is rolling the last 10 meters it's obvious how much ground he's making up on people yeah, Robert is definitely right about Jacobs moving the needle. And I think, look, if he shows up the Rome Diamond League, I don't know if they have 100, but they need to find an event, just add 100. Like, I don't know if they'll sell that thing out, but he's going to get a big, big, big crowd if he races in Italy. And I think most events, if you just say you've got the Olympic 100-meter champion, that's going to move the lead, the needle for... He's not Bolt, but people are still going to be excited to see him race. So that was definitely a big deal there. John, how's his English? Does he speak English? He understands it pretty well. He does speak it a little bit, but he's a lot more confident in press conferences in Italian. So, yeah, I, I think he could. I think he probably could speak okay if needed, but he prefers to do all his interviews in Italian. Oh, I guess maybe he's not ready to be a podcast guest. No, I don't think so yet. Not without a translator. But one thing I did think was interesting is. On my flight out of Belgrade, I was flying on the same flight. I connected through Munich, and I was on the same flight as the entire Italian team. And I was like, it was interesting. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if Marcel Jacobs is traveling with them, and you know, does he get any special treatment? And indeed, 
there was only one person from the entire Italian delegation who was in sort of first class business class, Marcel Jacobs. And I'm like, you know what? If you win an Olympic gold medal, I think you're entitled to that sort of treatment. I'm a little surprised, actually, Gianmarco Tamberi. I didn't see him. Maybe he wasn't flying back with them. I'm like, but if you win an Olympic gold medal, I think you do earn preferential treatment from your federation. So Jacobs was sitting next to you, John, up up in first? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I haven't won any Olympic gold medals for Let's Run yet. So uh, maybe if I get, like, track and field right as MVP or something, you'll start playing business class for me. It is kind of crazy to say that the Olympic 100-meter champ, a guy who had run 646 or 647, I think, before this year, which is pretty good indoor time. He runs 641 here. could be the big winner, but I 100% agree. I'm excited to have him as sort of a star. Face might be too much of a word of the sport, but we it's good to have new rivalries, not even just to have like all-American sprinters. At the top, I mean, it's hard to say that because we've had all these Jamaican guys, but geographic diversity, I think, is a good thing for the sport. Yeah, it's just, I mean, for a few years there, we had Bolt retired, and Coleman was on coming up, and we thought it might be Coleman versus Lyles, and that was kind of exciting. It was interesting for a couple of years, but it never really materialized into anything. And now it's like, okay, we've got Coleman, we've got Jacobs, they're kind of building a, a story together. It's just more interesting when you have storylines in an event like the hundred. And I think we've got them now. It's Marcel Jake, like America underperformed in basically all of the track events last year in Tokyo. Now we've got the world championships on home soil. They got to defend home turf and you got Marcel Jacobs. You've got Andre de Grasse coming in to shake shit up. So I, I think that's going to be really exciting. Definitely looking forward to that. Any other thoughts, any other questions? Like, well, you watched this meet from afar. Anything that stood out to you or anything you're curious about what went down in Serbia? Well, one guy quickly I don't want to overlook is Christian Coleman. He had a great meet. He gets edged out. And John, I'm starting to think those photo finish lines, it's like VAR. Like, we just take it for granted that this guy wins. I want to have someone else look at this photo. You've been following too much Ray t- Ray's take on Twitter, haven't you, Weldon? Because he was st- he was the one promoting this that he didn't think Coleman lost the race. He's like, I want to see the actual details and all that stuff. John, contrary to Blue Check Universe, not everyone is on Twitter all the time. I think like five percent of people. I I love Ray's take, but I had not seen this. But I was I was kind of looking at the where the arrows line the lines lined up, and I'm like, wait, just couldn't you just say that's Coleman's line and that's Jacob's line. I mean, to me, there's no rhyme or reason. But apart from the conspiracy theory that he was robbed of the of the win, he's been away for what two and a half years. His last race before this was February 2020. So his then he resumes racing in what January 2022. So he hadn't raced in almost two years. So two years, and. Gets beat, but shows he's back. The layout, I mean, how's someone to come off from a layoff? Justin Gatlin did it after four years, but it took him a while. But there could have been some question marks coming into this year. I guess before the meet, we kind of knew there weren't. But I thought it was a good meet for him. Also, he sounded, you guys made it sound like he was gracious in defeat. It's kind of looking forward to the rivalry. Um, 
you guys were talking about the podcast, how why I think no, no one listens. Well, his Christian Coleman's dad was at one point a listener because he said Rojo, our very own Rojo, is an unprofessional, irresponsible hack and an idiot. So, Mr. Coleman, if you're still listening, great job by Christian this weekend. Uh, I I want to see guys like Christian Coleman running well. I think that's what the sport needs. We need as many fast guys running well, running clean, hopefully competing at the biggest stage. But, John, we can't pretend the meet was all positive. Let's turn to biggest losers. That may be too harsh of a word some are saying in these you know, we're getting careful. Should we have a trigger warning before we have negative news? Trigger warning. You may find some of the talk coming up to be hurtful to your ego or another athlete's ego. I'm not sure I came up with this one, but Isaiah Harris may be the biggest loser from the meet, in my opinion. In some ways, Robert might say he's a winner here in a second. But in the 800, I'm like, wow, this guy, he's got a new sponsor. He's running really well. He could medal here, set things up for the outdoor season. He really wasn't a factor at the 800 meter final when it came down to the medals. I think he finished sixth. Seventh. Then he comes seventh. Didn't he still only have six guys in the final? Or is they always had eight? This is the first time since the inaugural World Indoor Championships that they took eight to the final. And it kind of, Robert and I kind of thought it may have played a factor to why Isaiah was only seventh because. He won his heat, and he had the fastest qualifying time, yet he had to share a lane at the start. And look, it's it's something you can overcome because Mariano Garcia, the eventual winner of the race, was in dead last at 200 meters, and he came around everyone to win. But you know, he didn't start off in a, in a great spot. He was on the outside of lane four, and then he immediately gets behind the guy who shared a lane with him. But yeah, then Weldon, you want to continue what happened with Isaiah on Sunday morning? Yeah, then he runs the heat to the 4 by 4 I think like a lap in, I didn't see it. Does something to his hamstring and hobbles home, hands off to the U.S., gives him the hope of making the final, but they, I guess they barely miss out on time. But if he goes aw- comes away from this meet injured and without a medal, obviously that's just extremely disappointing. So I'm hoping he can bounce back. Yeah, I think calling him a loser might be harsh. I think the it's just it was a really unfortunate 24 hours. Like I couldn't have... Like he goes in the final, he doesn't, he underperforms in the final, especially with how good he looked in the prelims. And he took responsibility. He's like, look, yeah, he was kind of confused why he had to share a lane. But at the same time, he's like, look, those are the circumstances. He got to deal with them. Like, I don't, you know, everyone has the same rules. I know I know everyone had to share share a lane, but he didn't make excuses for his defeat. But then here's the, the other part. And I wonder if this had something to do with him injuring his hamstring was the U S didn't bring like a full relay squad for the four by four. They had a couple, but they had Noah Williams. I think they had one other guy. And then they had the guys from the individual 400, but the individual 400 and the 800 final were both on Saturday night. And then they run prelims of the four by four on Sunday morning and the final of the Sunday four by four on Sunday night. So they did not want the guys running in the final, Trevor, Trevor Bassett and I think Marquise Washington, who are the individual 400 guys. They didn't want them running Sunday night, sorry, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and then Sunday night in the final. They drafted in 
someone from the 800, This in this case, Isaiah Harris, and he run, raced on Saturday night, has to race again on Sunday morning. Yeah, looks like he pulls a muscle or something. And I thought it was heroic. I was so impressed by what he did. And I just hope that for his sake, he this isn't a long-term issue and it doesn't hamper him going into indoor into the outdoor season because he'd had a good indoor year. This was his first season with the Brooks Beast. He makes the final. He didn't perform like he wanted to. But I think overall, this was going to be a pretty positive season for Isaiah Harris. And then to get this injury, because you volunteered to help your country make the final, I think it's just really, really unfortunate. But I don't know if I would call him a... Yeah, the outcome, I guess it's bad for him. I don't know if I call him a loser, though. Yeah, Jen, I'm not calling him a loser. He was one okay. of the biggest losers at the meet. You know, it's more of a figurative well, term, right? Look. Yeah, sure. Look, coming into the meet, I wasn't expecting for Harris to contend for a medal. He looks so... Because he lost by a full second at USA's. But he looked so good in the first round. You know, I was watching him intently in the final. I actually thought the fast start by everybody else was going to be... I thought he was perfectly suited. He's going, I never got up there. I'm like, well, if they're going out super fast, to be out in six is pretty good. I mean, the winner was in last and ended up mowing through the field. So, yeah, to get hurt was just... That sucks for him because he looks so good. And also, it's like... You know, he didn't make the team last year, but the 800 team for the U.S. is so, so hard to make. But in my mind, I used to always think as a coach, like, well, why would he think he's going to be significantly better this year than next year? The, the answer for him is simple. He's totally changed coaching and training regimes. So there's a reason to think, oh, I'm going to be better than ever. He was showing – he certainly looked really good. And then the final was just disappointing, and then he gets hurt. But for those of you not supporting club members that didn't catch the live show after it, you know – I point out the time that won the gold medal in the four by four would play seventh at the SEC meet. And yet we can't figure out a way to get the people over there. Now, part of it is a financial thing in the sense of the type of person that can run that time, like a, what is it? A, it's just 46, five, right? There's no middle classes in the sprints. You've got the elites who are getting paid contract and don't show up and run indoors. And then you've got, there really isn't anyone after that who's continuing past college. You've got the collegians, plenty of them, but they're all running NCAAs, so they're right. not going to make the team. There, there's no Brooks Beast or Hansons for sprinting. So you, you know, and, and we've seen this quote back in the day, like the guy in lane, you know, the the Usain Bolt, the guy in, in the middle of the lane is getting millions of dollars, and the guy in lane eight is lucky to get by and make a living, unless they're from some other country and the federation supporting them, etc. Again, I talked to one of these jumpers on one of the planes, and they were seated in the top three, and they have a contract of zero dollars. Yeah, look at the women's 60, the silver and bronze medalists from the United States, Micaiah Briscoe and Mary Beth Sant Price. Neither of them are sponsored. So, yeah, in the sprints, it's, it's really boom or bust in terms of getting a pro deal. So, anyway, if you think of a women's 4x4, it's probably the same. Like a 52-second quarter runner, what is that ever going to do? You're never going to medal individually. And kind of America expects gold, so there's no money. But this is where I, I, I put the blame on Max Siegel. Like, there's no leadership. Could he figure out some way to get these college kids to go over there? And can we put the money in a trust for them? I mean, and, and people always say, you're always talking about a seven-figure salary. Yes. <laughs> to take $300,000 of that away. Couldn't you pay four sprinters $75,000 a year just to do relay duty? Somebody who just graduated, hey, we'll do this. 
I, I don't think you even need to pay them. You just go up to NCAAs and you take you look at the people from NCAAs and you say, the top four Americans from NCAAs, hey, we'll give you an all-expenses-paid trip to Serbia to run the 4x4 and win gold for the U.S. You want to go? Not everyone's going to do it. Some of the college coaches might get mad, but I bet you'd find a few people to pit, put them together to, to win the gold for the and U.S. And people are like, oh, you can't do that because then it kills the incentive to go to the... USA meet, you know, et cetera, that type of stuff. But anyways, Weldon talked about his quote unquote biggest loser. My, for me, it was Gabriel Debus Stafford of Canada. I, I just, you've run 1431. That looks so good. She was, oh, I just thought, you know, this, she's got the opportunity. She's got better PRs in every event than Ellie Perrier. And yet she doesn't even medal. So if Ellie Perrier is second and you've already run 1431, I know that, you know, there was a fourteen fourteen woman that got the bronze, but you just you had an opportunity to win big here and you had come home with nothing. But I, I'm not saying that's a in a negative way. I'm I'm certainly more thankful for her than I am these people that didn't even show up at the meet. Yeah, she was definitely a disappointment. And in my post I said the OAC men did pretty poorly, I thought. That would be Ollie Hoare and Jordy Beamish. I think Hoare was fifth in the 1500. Hoare was fifth. And Beamish said he wasn't used to the rounds. Hoare talked a really good game beforehand, said he was there to win, which I like. And he was somehow ranked third in the world last year by Track and Field News, which I think we had him eighth, John. Yeah, well, they. I mean, he ran well on the circuit, but... You know, he's only 11th or so at the Olympics, I think. Nothing great, right? Like, he had a few third-place finishes, I think, or second and sort of not I think he field. was third or fourth in the Diamond League final, which is pretty darn good. Right, but I, I'm just saying, but for all of them, I think still going to Worlds can be a good, nice wake-up call. It's like, hey, we've had some success. Oh, wait, it's a whole other level at the world level, and we got to figure out how to get there. So uh, I think... Hopefully they all f- take positives from this meet essentially and be like, okay, just need just need a little reality check. It's never easy to get a. They don't give away medals in the world level. I mean, sure, like Chanel Price has a gold medal. We don't want to get too carried away about w- with what happens at World Indoors, but I think I don't know. Beating the fields at you know some sound running meet isn't the same as doing it at World Indoors. Yeah, I mean. They, I, they both came in, Ollie Hoare and Jordy Beamish. I thought they were both medal contenders in their, in their, in their events. And I think the way these races played out, I mean, 332 was a championship record in the men's 1500, but we've seen Ollie Hoare run 332 indoors. So I think there was an opportunity there for him to medal. And he's like, yeah, I had some opportunities in the middle of the race to move up and try to get in the medal position. I didn't take them. And he ends up fifth in 334. That's you know that's not an awful showing. That's it's fine, but it's not what he was hoping for, and the opportunity was there. Same with in the men's three k. You know, seven forty one was the winning time here by Salomon Borrega. He closed in about twenty six zero. Jordy Beamish basically did the same thing at Milrose seven thirty nine. He closed sub twenty six, and he was pretty honest after the race saying. You know, he just didn't feel the same in the prelims. I think if it was just a straight final, 
he would have had a really, really good shot to medal, but he's not a high mileage guy. And that's because he's had injuries in the past. And the problem is when you're running two, three Ks in the span of three days, it's going to be a little tougher for him to close. So yeah, I think this is a learning experience and maybe something needs to change so he can improve his strength to get through the rounds because you're always going to be having rounds of these championship meets. But I'm glad they showed up. And yeah, you learn something. And again, I'm not saying Cole Hawker can't medal but this summer, but I'm, you know, is he what's he learning more from in terms of getting ready to medal at a championship meet? Would would you learn more from running a 1308 time trial or do you learn more by showing up and running championship rounds and getting experience in finals? I think Ollie Hoare prepared himself better for the outdoor champs, certainly strategically, than Cole Hawker did last weekend. The Jordy Beamish interview that I did after the 3000 final was one of the more informative ones that I learned in the sense of, I mean, if you look at the stats, Bill Rose was a faster race than the final here and he closed better in the last 200. So when he said, this is the type of race I think I can win, at first you're like, what? Now, I don't think it's totally fair to compare because I went 100 by 100 meters. Like It was so much more evenly run at Milrose than it was here. And I think that um, I, I personally thought Borrega won this race despite what I thought running a really stupid race at, at, at points. Now, the end was brilliant. He controlled it in front like Mo Farah. But why did he go out in dead last 18 seconds for the first 100, run a 28 flat for the next 200, take the lead through 700, then fall all the way back to 12th. And someone would make me do this because I'm pretty sure he did the 10, same thing in the 10,000. I can understand purposely giving up the lead because you don't want to lead, but why do you fall back to 12th? Just stay in third or fourth. But anyways, Beamish is like, I just, my legs are trash, but he's like, I take a day off twice a week. Every time I work out, I can't run the next day. And he's like, you know, that's just, I'm running like 30, 40 miles a week less than everybody else. I'm just not strong enough. You know, I, I've got to get better at that. He doesn't make excuses. I said to him, hey, man, maybe they'll start going to a straight final and you'll have a shot. He's like the women, because they had a straight 3,000 final. He said, well, I love this. He's like, I don't think they should do that. It's about championship running is about who can run the best over two days. Nobody gives a shit what you do in the prelims or how good you feel in the prelims. So man up to him for that, for saying, no, I want them to keep the rounds. I've just got to figure out a way to do that. So I thought that was really cool how he was was you know for that. But you know we can talk about outdoor medalists. Maybe we should do that next week. Like I, I just it, at some level it's going to be really hard. Like I know that Josh Kerr wants to win gold, and is it possible? Yes, but is it likely? Hell no. The person that's finishing third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh—that's often a career performance just to get to that. And tennis. The Federers and the Dolls, the guys that are winning, like they continue to keep winning. They're way better than everybody else. It's a damn bell curve, you know. So, I just think it's going to be, you know, the the people that sniff a medal once, like a Craig Mottram or a Tegan Camp or Solinsky. I know, I know, they never got them. A Philip Ingebrigtsen, those type of things, you know. There's a lot of people that you know that are in the third to eight range. They sniff one medal, then the next time they don't get it. Big picture, Jordy Beamish has made huge strides. We're talking about him as a possible medal contender or gold medal contender in the 3K. I mean, this is a guy, he's never hit the Olympic qualifying standard, right? He tried a week before this race and didn't hit it. So big picture, he's made tremendous strides as a pro. Other distance performances, I mean, it's crazy. Like, I mean, this field wasn't great, the 800. 
So we haven't talked too much about Ajay. I was really glad to see that. It's kind of crazy. It's the first time she went under sub two this year, but she smoked everybody that last lap. So when she takes on a thing, Mo, Keely Hutchinson, I think there's some hope. I still think if they're their best, she's in trouble. But I just wanted to give her another shout out because sort of a lifetime achievement award. It's crazy because she's what, 27, John? Yeah. But no, everyone, I think we would have said if after she missed the gold in 2019 in Doha, that was her best chance to win outdoor gold. And then last year, I think Mo and Keely Hodgson come along and both of them run 155 at age 19 in the Olympic final. I think all of us are like, Ajay missed a window, right? It's closed. She's not going to be able to win anything. These two are going to win everything in the next decade or so. And then the very next global championships, granted Keeley and a thing did not run in Belgrade, but was pretty interesting to see her. So yeah, it's going to be interesting if she's a factor. Also, I think Mo, I thought this was interesting. Did you guys see, so did you see the Instagram post she had earlier this week? Because she finally addressed the Milrose games and the DNF and the mile. I think it's worth quoting a little bit from that. It's amazing piece. By the way, I'd like to apologize to Let's Run Nation for John gave me a hard time in Serbia. I'm one of the SC shows. I I did interview I think, though. I didn't see week before last. Asked her what she's been up to, but I didn't ask her about dropping out. So fair enough, John. I, I really blew that interview. I blew another interview, but I will defend myself. John wouldn't even go up to her. John's like interviewing the sixth placer of the NCAA 100. I think the way we organize, we def- it's called division of labor, Robert. I went over, I'm like, do you want me no. to talk to a thing or do you? And you no, said you wanted to go and talk to a thing. The first day, John saw her and didn't interview her. I'm like, John, you need to interview her before anyone else. So the next day, I was like blowing off 800 people to try to find her. But yeah, so she posts up on Instagram um, saying that she wrote this several weeks ago, but she's just publishing it now. And saying now that indoors is over, she can reflect and move forward. Going through adversity is different for everyone. For me personally, I hate to lose. This just isn't this isn't just in the race aspect, but just losing in general. When it comes to my mentality, I hate the feeling of knowing that I'm not in the best position for myself to succeed. I hate knowing that I am in control of a good amount of what I'm going through, yet I choose not to make a change because of wanting to beat myself up for what's happening. Me being a genuine person, I don't want to lose a feeling until I truly understand and have comprehended everything. But today I'm laying down my last race and my indoor season to rest. I've realized that I put myself in positions to be challenged both mentally and physically many times. Being on such a streak and losing it in a situation that was truly different and a challenge for me was definitely detrimental, to say the least. But I also realized that I am who I am because I choose to put myself in these positions. I choose to place myself in situations that others may avoid for their own greater good. I want to continue to take risk and continue to expect the unexpected. So today I'm ready to create new beginnings. I'm ready for the challenges. I'm ready for all that this coming season has in store for me. No matter what happens, I'm going to persevere and overcome. I almost forgot who I was, but then I literally sat down and started watching my races, and they were honestly pretty great. Like, wow, I am her. So I am here to say for myself, I'm over it. I'm letting go, releasing, realigning, and resetting. The outdoor season is a comeback for me. Let's let it rock. I mean, John, this to me is amazing on so many levels because, first of all, it confirms what I've always said. Everybody wants to be the underdog. She has one tough race, and it's like it's a comeback triumph. Now, Audrey Wilson no longer is the Olympic gold medal favorite who can never be beaten, will win every race the rest of her life. She's now an underdog. A thing, Mo. 
you said Ajay Wilson. But I agree with you. I agree, Rob. I thought it was really interesting because I wanted to hear her thoughts on this defeat. And again, she declined the interview after Milrose. So we didn't know what her immediate thoughts were. And part of me is like, wow, like this is a long detailed post just for one defeat in a race. But at the same time, I was glad she wrote it. I was glad she explained what she's been going through. She clearly took the defeat hard, even though she, again, she admits she put herself in a difficult situation. It was very challenging for her, and I really applaud her for at least entering that race, even though I don't approve of her dropping out with a lap to go once it was clear she wasn't going to win. And I also hope it shows that, you know, some maturation that she's learning how to deal with defeat, because, again, I don't expect her to lose a lot of races this year, but... You know, I think it's better if she gets beaten in 800 before the World Championships. If she hadn't had this Milrose loss on her resume, maybe it's like she had, you know, mentally it's really difficult for her to rebound from that. Whereas now she's gone through that experience of failure at the professional level. And if she does lose this year or, you know, ahead of Paris 2024, she might be more prepared to bounce back for that now that she's gone through this experience. So I I found it a very interesting Instagram post. I think if anything, John, it reminds us she's a 19 year old kid. She may have run 155, be the Olympic champion, but she's 19 years old. I think I went from getting the DMR at the Heps in first place and finishing like maybe six for the team. You know, and I put on Gloria Gaynor, I will survive on my headphones and act like it was into the world afterwards. Wait a minute. Well then, they put you on the DMR anchor as a 19-year-old? I thought you were a 10K guy. Was Yale really that shallow in the distances back in the 90s? John, I don't, this wasn't my freshman year. I think this was my senior year. Maybe junior year. Junior year. So I was like probably 21, 22. But true story, true story. But I expected her to get smoked in that mile. There's no way she wins that mile. She had no business thinking she could win that mile. So... Part of that I, I like the mentality of like, oh my God, I'm going to just run this mile. I never run within 15 seconds, essentially, right? Her best is probably not within 15 seconds of the PR of what, Perrier or somebody. And she's thinking, I'm going to beat them. I love the mentality, but be a little more realistic. She doesn't need to make a big deal of this loss. I thought it was fascinating because she realizes in the, in, at one point she acknowledges, like, I put myself in this situation, like something that she shouldn't be good at. And I agree. I was like, what is she expecting out of this race? And she just ran like she was going to win it. So didn't her coach want to tell her, like, hey, heads up? I, I, I think this actually goes against one thing Walden always says. Oh, the champion's the mindset. She thinks it's her mindset. Guess what? Her mindset didn't work. It blew up, and she had to drop out of that race. So they're just better. She, I mean, as I said before, Michael Jordan was extremely good at, ba- at basketball. He was not extremely good at baseball. He could not will himself to do you know, be the best baseball player. She can't will herself to be the best miler, but I think it's cool that she was going to do it. I mean, it made sense. I'm just surprised that the loss hurt her that much because she didn't win NCAAs in the 400 last year. I mean, I guess dropping out and getting second is a little bit different. She got second in the 400, but I think it was a smart plan. Like run the 400 last year. You don't want to do the same thing. So this year run the mile, get stronger. But I feel like she was still in good enough shape. She could have easily won. Maybe it's a good thing it all happened. worked out well. She's, she, is now kind of a little bit of an underdog in her own mind. Ajay's got her gold. It's a win-win for everybody. So I do think, I mean, you know, imagine if Keely and Althing Mo are there and, you know, Ajay's third. We're not talking about her. So I think that's cool. On the Saturday night, Sunday night show, John and I said, 
you know, can Ajay challenge Othing and Keeley? I said, and can she win gold? And I answered the question yes and no. I think she could win gold. I don't think she can beat them at their best. So, you know, Keeley's hurt. She's got a quad injury. Othing, well, well, looks like she's doing fine now, but we didn't know what her deal was. So, but it, it would be great to see the three of them on top of their game. And don't forget about Raven Rogers, who ran 156 last year and got the bronze in the Olympics. So she, I mean, she's younger than RJ. She's going to be a fact. She's always got a great kick. I mean, I think it'd be silly to leave her out of the discussion. I mean, RJ better just make the team first. I'm just glad I'm not a U.S. Women's 800 meter runner. The good thing for the men is Donovan Brazier gets a buy into the worlds because he's the defending world champion. But the women have no buy, and the U.S. is by far the deepest country at 800. So everybody just, you know, get on that. I guess you can say get on the plane to Eugene, but you're not really probably flying to Eugene. But make the team first is what everybody needs to remember. And, oh, I think, well, she's back. She ran 124 for 600 this weekend outdoors in Tempe. I mean, she's racing. I don't know if that signifies that she's back to being a thing mo but it's yeah she's back racing john that's like a top five all-time u.s time it's pretty good top five all-time in the outdoor 600 i mean have five women ever even run that event in the history of the united states well it's not like she ran 90 seconds or something i'm just saying it's, it's... <laughs> okay <laughs> i mean she ran faster when she was like 16 years old so i i don't really it's fine it's it's what she should be running for some outdoor opener in march all right, anything else before we turn the page on World Indoors? No, that's enough. I had so much fun there, John. Again, we'll recap the St. Patty's Day's activities at the end of the show for the VIPs. But wait, 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 wait. You guys got to give one thing. I, I got to justify this to the investors. Well, actually, there are no investors in Let's Run. There's only three owners. Two of them are on this podcast right now. Wait, who's the third owner? John Kellogg, 1% owner of Let'sRun.com. He can break any tie between me and Robert. Oh, wow. Stuff you learned, John, listening to the podcast. What's the one thing? Give give one thing to the viewers. You guys each learned from being there. One thing we may not know about. Got to justify the expenditures. Well, I learned a bunch of things off the record in a Belgrade bar, but I don't know if I can share all those on the podcast. I'm trying to think. From actually being there, what did I learn from the interviews and stuff? Well, talking to Grant Holloway, I learned about when he chooses to shave his head. He he says he's only he does it himself, and because people are hyped up for him, he chose to do it this time as well. He thought people were expecting a lot out of him, so he shaved his head, and he said the results are now that he's broken two world records and he's two and zero with the shaved head. So you watch out for him when he does that at. Any sort of meat, keep aware of that. That's one of the things I learned from the mix zone oils. I mean, Borrega, I thought Borrega is just... He didn't always answer the questions we wanted to ask him in, there, but I thought it was interesting to hear from him You know, saying he wants to double at the Worlds. Oh, I mean, Ryan Krauser, I thought... I'm not a huge shot put nerd, but hearing him explain exactly like how the shot put works in terms of they all... like. 
you know, how is first of all, how his injury affected his throws, but then also like if you have normally you have like three to five shot puts of a certain kind of shot. And this time 14, I think of the guys in the field throw the same shot. So normally they'd have three or five of them to share. This time they only have one to share. If you will, if you throw that specific brand of shot put of shot, sorry. So that kind of made the event turn into a bit of a mess because everyone was waiting to use a shot. I thought what Robert said earlier about Jordy Beamish and his mileage, I wasn't aware it was that much lower. I wasn't aware he takes that much time off in between. So I thought that was pretty compelling. Uh, are we talking track and field stuff that we learned? I mean, I learned a lot about Ukraine, Russia, the East and the West, the history of Bulgaria and our walking tour. But Bulgaria, excuse me, Serbia. But in terms of, I mean, we learned tons of stuff. We we heard rumors about why Gerding Ibritsen left, which I can't say on the air. Um, but I learned a lot. Actually, I, I guess I should shout, give a shout out to his name. I didn't say his name earlier. Aaron Gatson, the triple jump coach, who used to be on the triple jumper at Cornell when I was there. I like since I got my flight was at eight forty on Monday morning. I got to the airport at five. Um, took a bus. I actually I learned that they have a great bus system in, in Belgrade. You just hop on and go wherever you want. It's like all the time, all hours of the night. But I, I learned from him that apparently, like, what do you guys think? Let me ask you guys this: What do you think you, makes you Omar Rojas great? Well, I already saw you write. You you texted us this, so I already know the answer. John, you're supposed to fake it if I didn't text you. I don't remember texting you. I was I was sleep deprived. Weldon probably didn't read my text. She's super tall and fast. Yes. So apparently her technique is not amazing, but she's super tall. He's like, I don't think there's anyone in the world that is that fast that is that tall. So pretty interesting. She's like the same bolt of the triple jump. I, I learned some stuff about Mariano Garcia. Uh, he, his English is not great, the 800 meter champion, but I was going to put this in a sort of a wrap up article I wanted to write on the meet. Is, and this is courtesy of friend of Let's Run, Miguel Almeida, a uh, Spanish journalist, former steeplechaser until 2019. And also, he's from this, a very small village. Uh, in Mercia, so it's sort of like the country. And he didn't really like being in New York earlier this year when he raced uh, Staten Island because he spent a couple weeks there, but he doesn't. he's not a huge fan of the big city. He's much more of a country boy. And as a result, I'm just going to quote from what Miguel sent me in this uh, message. He, li- he trains in a triangle-formed dirt track, which is often used as a street market. So he has to move to another place sometimes. Not joking, absolutely true true story. He only drives 14 miles to train at a proper track, the last specific workouts before a race. So it's kind of like hearing from Joshua Chepter guy, you know, he's training for the world record in this 405 meter like single lane dirt track that sort of has a bump in the middle. The same sort of setup. And then Miguel sent me a picture of the the track which I'll share in this article I write later this week it's just yeah it's a triangle it's a triangular dirt track and that's where the world indoor champion trains it's pretty crazy okay john that's what the people want to hear stuff like that thank you that was good 
Meanwhile, the entitled, coddled Western runners and Flagstaff are still apoplectic that the Sedona track is closed. But, hey, Kenyans have showed us one thing. You don't need a tartan track to be the world champion. And I was going to say, John, you guys are no fun. People want to know what you guys learned in the bars, but I'm trying to drag it out of you. But, yeah, your lips are sealed. Your lips are sealed. So, I mean, well, then here's the thing. If we start blabbing every single thing I learned in a bar about track and field, those people I speak to in the bar are no longer going to talk to me about track and field. So I think it's better to have at least some of this stuff as background knowledge that can help inform our reporting moving forward, maintain relationships. And it is, and then also, I mean, it's not like I've got a microphone in front of them. I feel like, you know, if you just start (laughs) spilling everything, you're going to lose credibility or trust from some of your sources. So it's a balancing act, but you definitely, definitely heard some interesting things. Well, believe it or not, there were other big events this weekend. Besides the World Indoor Track and Field Championships, yours truly went to one of them. John, instead of staying home, watching Crystal Palace destroy Everton in the FA Cup quarterfinals, I traveled down to New York City, so confident my team would win, that I could cover the New York City half marathon like a professional journalist. And although COVID struck Jakob Ingerbison at World Indoors, this was the first New York Roadrunners event back to full capacity since COVID-19 invaded the world. Well, I'm glad you were able to go. I and All right, this is the official line. You didn't forget that Crystal Palace was playing at the same time as the New York City half. You knew they were playing and made the conscious decision to cover the meet in spite of that. Is that what you're saying? I did know. I, I, I did realize this. I thought about not going... More so to help cover world indoors, but it was just like a 3K on the final day. I'm like, you guys have got that. So I'm glad I went. The races, I mean, Ronan Skipruto had a two-minute PB faster than anyone else in the field. He gets to win, as expected. King Chess. Some people got mad because they. I, I admitted I did not know King Chess was in the field until race day second place this is his second half marathon i believe it's kind of hard to draw any conclusions in a race these days where the winning time is 60 30 on the men's side sinberry teferi won a close battle on the women's side 67 35 so in today's era those times aren't fast but talking to everyone afterwards they're like look this course was fat. It's hard. I'm like, oh, New York City Marathon course is hard. They're like, no, this is this is harder. What's a half? It's different. So, and you got to realize the New York NYC New York Roadrunners. They bring in a ton of people for this, John. I would love to know their budget for this race, but it's kind of got the same model of the marathon. Maybe not a ton of Kenyans and Ethiopians, but deep international fields. If you're close to Ronix Caprudo and a half, even though he's not going all out, I think it's a good performance for you. I mean, guys like Connor Mance, you know, who, were, who was some talk of possibly going for the American record in his half marathon debut back in December. 
Yeah, he was fifth there. He was not the top American. He lost to Shadrach Kipchirchir, who ran 61-16. Mance was 61-40. I did think this was a good race for Chez. I mean, I'm not overly concerned with the times because, as you said, it's a tough course. There's hills, there's bridges. But if you were within seven seconds of Ronex Cabrudo, who's a 57-40-something guy in the half, it's pretty good showing for King Chez. So I wonder, maybe, maybe he just goes around making a lot of money on the roads. You don't need to have... American citizenship to race all these road races and take home bucks, pay, take home money. Yeah, definitely not. Okay, finally, I've got the results in front of me. Yeah, I mean, like Chadwick Kipchurcher, as you said, first American. This is his half marathon debut, John. 61 16 on that course, only 46 seconds behind Ronix. It's a good run. I mean, the top three were together, and then Kipruto kept ahead. So it's Kipruto, Edward Chesarek, Tishome Mekinen of Ethiopia. And then you kind of had like, well, Churcher was was up there, I think, for a while. He was kind of second no man's land. Then the rest of the guys were sort of picking, kicking together. Connor Mance was the best of that group. I had a sh- Sam Chalinga and Reed Fisher. But you see these guys, you know, those guys are around 101 high, 102. It's sort of, you got to kind of start thinking, kind of adjust these times, maybe like a minute and a half. And that's like, you know, say King Chess could go run 59 something, 58 high in the half marathon. I guess maybe that's not shocking in today's era, but I think that's where he's at. Yeah, I mean, that, the thing is with Chez, like, okay, if Chez Rex a 58-something half marathon or is an American, that's a big deal. If he's 58 minutes as a Kenyan, he's going to be like, there are probably going to be five to 10 Kenyans still ahead of him. Uh, it's just not, like, globally, 58 minutes is not what it used to be, but... Yeah, definitely a step in the right direction for Chaz for sure. You think he's a fifty-eight minute guy? What? You're subtracting a minute and a half from these times? Look, I'm happy the King Chaz did something relevant. I thought this guy was gonna be a star. I never understood why he never went with Nike. And I still don't understand how he's not a US citizen. Doesn't make any sense to me. But you know, and he did beat Connor Mance by more than a minute. And he was close to Ronis Caputo, but the guy that's third here, I mean, I don't understand. Like, to show me McConan, this guy's never even he, – he's like basically a career half marathon guy. Like, look at up his stats. He's got no track PRs. He's like 25 or 26. He's never broken 60 minutes. How in the world do you even get invited to this race if you've never broken 60 minutes? Like, are they trying to invite sort of, quote, B-team overseas guys so they don't run away from the Americans? Like, I, I'm not trying to be a dick here. I'm just curious. Well, he he's run – he is he based in New York? I'm not sure. He's run a few. He's run. I'm looking at his profile here. He's raced a lot of New York races before. He was fourth in this race back in 2018. You know, he, he's run a number of New York based races. He was third in this race in 2017. So either he has a relationship with the road runners or he's you know something like that. So, but have y'all? I had, I had to step away for a brief second. My son is has missed school for the eighth consecutive day. So my wife was holding it down the fort while I was gone. Now I'm in charge. Eight days in a row? What's what's wrong with him, Robert? Or is this, I don't want to violate HIPAA laws. Sounds like a lot, John, but I remember when we started sending him to um, school, which is basically pre pre preschool, kind of like all day daycare. But anyways, when COVID hit, I remember thinking, how is this going to work? Because 
when he was a little kid and I heard about like, you know, he gets a cold for the first time. A cold takes like seven to 10 days to get out of your system. So I remember when COVID hit, you cannot go to school with any COVID symptoms, which is basically all cold symptoms. So I was like, how is this going to work? If he gets sick, he's going to be out for like 10 days. Well, that's what happened. This one, this one has been weird. He, he got sick, had a huge fever, 103 fever. Then a day or two later, he vomited. Then a day or two later, he got a runny nose for three or four days. I thought before I went to Belgrade, he'd be back in school. Didn't go back. And then apparently now he's developed a cough over the weekend. So maybe tomorrow. Well, hope he feels better soon. I'm sorry to hear that, Robert. Thank you, John. So can we talk a little bit about the women's race? Sinberry Teferi wins in 67.35. And when I see her, I, I Google her name. I'm like, who is this again? Remind me. And this kind of reminds me, we talked about really how there's not a lot of depth in the sprints. It's sort of all or nothing. I, that's true, I think, in distance running on the track, if you're not American. Because this is a woman, Sinberry Teferi, who... Has a global medal, 2015 World Championship Silver at 5,000, and I mean she she made the Olympics last year. She ran 14:15, but she finishes like sixth in the Olympics. There's not really much money in that, so move to the roads and it waters it down so it gives somebody like an Ellie Perry. And I know Perry did beat Taye who ran 14:14 last year, but do I expect? Would I expect Ellie Perrier to beat somebody like this in, in the World Championship 5000 regularly? No, I would not. But since she's no longer, since she's giving up the event, perhaps, to run the roads, it makes it easier for the countries that sort of pay bigger salaries of a chance. Yeah, a couple other interesting things I would say is Weldon did mention, oh, I think it was, it was one of you guys mentioned sort of the depth of these fields. I mean, Edla Kiplagat was runner-up in Boston last year. She was ninth in the women's race and one ten twenty-two. Sarah Hall was twelfth, one ten fifty-four. Emma Bates, runner-up in Chicago, one eleven thirty-six. Now, some of these women, you know, who knows? I mean, Des Linden all the way back in twenty-third, one thirteen forty-nine. So, you never totally know what stage all these athletes are. Boston is a month away. A number of them are running it. So where where are they at in their builds? How seriously are they treating this race? But it was interesting to see those results. And then, I mean, none of those women were the top American, by the way. That was Lindsay Flanagan in fifth in 109.50. So congrats to Lindsay. What I do want to mention, though, one guy who didn't show up in the results because he didn't finish the race, it's Galen Rupp. He was seventh in the 15K champs earlier this month. According to someone Weldon interviewed, he was heard in a bridge screaming out the F word after sounds like some sort of injury or something like that. Weldon, can you give us any more details so we know what Mr. Rupp's up to? I'm assuming you didn't talk to him after the race. Yeah, I didn't talk to Rupp. And if you can read between the lines, you can probably figure out who I did talk to. The Let's Run Dot Singlet is back stateside. Thanks to Ben Renero bringing it here. He had a very good performance, John. He ran. He was 11th in 102.24. Really? 11th? I mean, that's good. He was 14 seconds behind Ben True. 
He finished ahead of Elkanah Kapat, Jared Ward, and Frank Lara. Ben's a guy who ran for Robert Cornell. He now represents the Netherlands. And he's probably most well-known him. Let's run for racing a 5K in Portland versus Galen Rupp. And running with him when Rupp was, you know, getting ready for some marathon or something. But Rupp, I guess, going over, I think, the bridge into Manhattan just apparently yelled out an F-bomb and had to stop running, which isn't a good thing. Because he had said, you know, at the what us 15k that was his previous race he said he wasn't 100 percent healthy after that but hoping to get ready for the world's marathon you don't want to be injured now even though it's only march but the world is in july so hopefully this is something minor not something serious because father time is catching up to galen rupp and there will not be another worlds in eugene during rupp's running career so this is a huge opportunity f- for him before the Duck faithful, the Nike faithful, the USA faithful to do something at Worlds. So uh, I want to see Galen Rupp healthy at the World Championships. Well, this is the in- weird thing to me, Well, then is the World Championship Marathon is four months away. So if he isn't healthy, why is he racing at all? That's kind of strange. Like, Or is this a sign... This isn't just an acute injury, and this is more of a lingering thing just because he's getting older. He turns 36 in May. So it's cu- I'm curious. Maybe I should ask Mike Smith about this. Like, wh- If he's not 100%, why is he running these races at all? I still don't believe that we're three days out after this race. We don't know what happened. The, the sport needs to enter the modern world where it's like put in your contract that you need to speak to the media. If you drop out of the race, you need to text text the race director what happened. I mean, it's just it's kind of unprofessional that we don't. It's we're, we're like the only entity in the world that treats us as a legitimate professional well, sports. Well, you could say it's unprofessional for us not to like make the phone calls and find out by now. But there's other stuff going on, so it works all the way around. But I agree, the race should put out a statement. The media is not quite done. I mean, there's a lot of people there, but it's not quite done with. Like there was no press conference afterwards or something whereas after the new york city marathon there's a press conference for the top three who do you want to talk to here it was sort of find your own athletes so i don't know exactly what happened with rup um john you mentioned sarah hall i did talk to her and the thing i found interesting was you know sarah's kids are ethiopian her uh, she adopted four kids from ethiopia and so she knows a little Amaric, and she was talking to to Ferry a little bit, and she asked who the coach was. Who her coach was? This was in English. To Ferry said she's coached by uh, Haji, and she's like, "Oh, I, I, I'm I'm about, I was gonna go to Ethiopia and train with his group." So the plan was for Sarah Hall immediately after this race to fly to Ethiopia, train in Ethiopia to get ready for the hills for Boston, and she's like, "I'm not gonna do that anymore." So I can link to this interview. She didn't go into too many details, but my my assumption is, you know, she said she had this injury going to Tokyo. She runs this race. If you need to go see physios, if you need to get medical care and you're a Western athlete, you're not going to go to Ethiopia. So I think there's some concern about her injury that she has that wants her to stay here now. And I assume if you don't go now, you're probably not going to go at all to Ethiopia. I mean, there's some chance she can go between now and Boston. But as you said, John, Boston's less than a month away. So I 
I mean, she's really trying to do a lot this year, right? She sets the American record in the half marathon in Houston in January, runs Tokyo last month, or no, Tokyo was two weeks ago, so it was this month. <laughs> then is running this race, Boston next month, Worlds in July, and New York. Is New York already on the books for her, John, or could she run London in this fall? I don't think she's said anything about a full marathon yet. And she's got three kids? Like she just goes to Ethiopia and Ryan takes the kids? Four kids. One of them might be in college now. Amazing. Okay, here's the question I have. Does Galen Rupp suddenly becoming injury prone, does that make you more or less likely to think that he once was on PEDs? Somebody in the message board had the comment of, hey, this makes me think he's clean because he's showing you shouldn't be PRing at 35, 36. You should be starting to get old. He's starting to get old. I thought it was an interesting take. First of all, again, just for the record, no one knows whether Rupp actually took any sort of performance-enhancing drugs, but he's never served a ban or been convicted or anything like that. But getting that out of the way, I just want to cl- – like. Who is saying that PEDs help prevent you like from getting stress fractures or Achilles issues? I've never heard that as an argument. Like the fact that someone gets injured late in their career doesn't make me think that they're more or less likely to have been taking performance enhancing drugs. Now, if someone's continually running like super super fast times late into their career, yeah, you would say they're. Pro- I mean, anyone who runs fast times, you're going to be more likely to say that they're taking PEDs, but. I don't see how getting injured, it doesn't factor into this discussion at all for me. Oh, I think if you're on steroids, you would recover, be stronger, you'd recover better and be less likely to get injured. But Okay, Galen has the history with Alberto Salazar and all of the stuff that's been documented, but I never thought he was purposely or consciously taking PEDs. So I guess nothing's changed for me. Well, I just thought it was interesting. But I also said, well, if you're going to be a cynic... When I replied in the message board, I could say, well, yes, but you could also argue that he's also no longer getting massages from from Salazar, who travels with testosterone in his dot kit. So you can play it both ways, I guess. I just thought it was an interesting take on the message board. Again, that's why we want people to check out the new and improved forum. Let's run.com slash forum. All right. We've been talking for over an hour, and I don't think we've gotten to the race of the weekend, the race that everybody was into. No, no, we're putting this one off. I'm, I'm holding this one off purposely. Before we get to that, we can talk to an, an athlete who was convicted of PEDs. Aspel Kiprop is back. Ports in the message boards are rare. He ran two flat in an 800. I think it was like 156. There's some little video Kiprop posted on Twitter. I think it'd be two guys in a heat of an 800 on a dirt track. Once again... Olympic and world champions running on a dirt track. But he's coming back from what? A four-year drug ban, John? Four years, free PO. Now, some guys are saying, hey, once a cheat, always a cheat. I don't want to see you in the sport. I loved how this guy run. I'm intrigued by the comeback. I'm sure he's too old. Nothing's going to amount to it. But for some reason, I spent 35 minutes reading about this on the forum today. There were reports also that he ran a half that he ran a 10k in 29 minutes, but fame coach Renata Canova, who if you're a supporters club member, you can follow on the forum. You can follow anyone in the forum. 
posted an update saying that's a different Aspel Kiprop. So J- John Canova is reading the same thread I am about Kiprop's 800. So if you run, if you ran north of 155, what do you guys think of his chances for the World Championships in Eugene? Discuss. <laughs> I think they're terrible. I mean, I didn't think he was going to do anything this year anyway. But yeah, like they're like 200 American high schoolers who can run 156. Like that doesn't really do anything for me for Kiprop. I I I am interested to see if he gets in any sort of diamond league this year. What does he do? But I didn't expect anything from this year, and so far he's delivering on that. I will mention that Kiprop is the favorite athlete, or was the favorite athlete of Malcolm Gladwell as well, or and was his screensaver on his phone. If you want to listen to the Malcolm Gladwell podcast in the Let'sRun.com track talk archives, and as we still delay discussing the 1306 versus 1308 time trial by Cooper Cheer and Cole Hawker. Guys, did you see Fred Curley, who I believe was the Olympic 100-meter bronze medalist? Silver medalist. Silver? I was like, no, he didn't really get the silver. I thought silver, and then I'm just like, this is crazy. This is a guy, you know, who's until last year was was known for being a 43-6-400 guy. Gets the silver medal. He ran 20.04 with the Baldi Castillo invite in Tempe. That's two weeks after he ran 44.4. And I got to assume if you're the Olympic silver medalist, you're going to try to run the 100 as well this year. And this could be a historic year for Mr. Curley, who I did not know this is coached by Aline Francique who was the 800-meter coach of Donovan Brazier, Texas A&M, before he was forced out mid-season a couple years ago. Under mysterious circumstances that Texas A&M has refused to comment on. So, uh, yeah, just worth noting that, but is apparently coaching Fred Curley still, which, yeah, I, I was aware that he was coaching Curley. I guess he did coach him at the 400 in, in college, so that doesn't make more sense than I thought, but I just don't think of Francis as being a 100-200 coach, but... I mean, he was a 400 runner as a pro, Francis was. That's true. All right, guys. We can now talk about it. The race with three finishers. One was, I think, a minute behind. This was at the Stanford Invite, a 5K, where Cooper Tier ran 13.06 and Cole Hawker ran 13.08. Same weekend as the World Ch- Indoor Championships. What do you think of them, this performance? What do you think of them doing a four-person time trial? Well, look, they had to... I guess Cooper Tia needed to get the 5,000 World Championship standard at some point, right? So I do at least understand that element oh, of it. He had it last year. Yeah, he didn't... He ran it at the NCAA Championships, Robert. It doesn't carry over to 2022. When does it restart? Like June 28th or something is the end of the window. So he needed to get it again. And Cole Hawker, I mean, who knows? Maybe he's trying to double and he won it as well. But look, I we've said this before on this podcast. I don't think we need to repeat ourselves too much. It's better for the sport if these guys are running at World Indoors. Obviously, Cooper Tier, that wasn't an option because 
He didn't run USA indoors due to COVID. Cole Hawker could have run world indoors. He chose not to. Now, yeah, is it more convenient to fly down to you to Palo Alto from Eugene? Yes. Then to go to Serbia, but I don't know. I just I, I think we need to you need to have some sort of deterrent in place, and we've talked about it before, whether it's allowing it's hard. This should not be allowed. This should not be allowed. This just should not be allowed. Weldon said it. They've got to do something. Do I? They're young kids. Do I fault them? No. Is it in their best interest to probably skip world indoors? Probably. But this really rubbed me the wrong way. I was told we got to get ready for the outdoor season. We can't be racing. And then they race the weekend of world indoors. So if you needed a hard workout, a 3,000 worked out just as well as the 5,000. And some people say, and I kind of ripped them on the message board. People are like, well, Cooper Tier couldn't have gone to Worlds. Look, we talked to Cooper Tier weeks ago. He was never planning on going to World Indoors. So I don't blame them personally. It's just the way the system is set up. Like, Why doesn't Craig Mosbach or someone at Nike start changing the contracts? We need more than one major, and there needs to be a window between World Athletics. They can't force people to not run races because they don't pay people salaries. But they could just sort of get away this like antitrust issues or whatever by saying, okay, here's the window for qualifying. And the qualifying window is doesn't start until indoors is over, period. So anything you run before that outdoors doesn't count. So at least, you know, if you want to run, it'll just be practice. It won't be counted as a qualifying time. So I, I, I do think that you could have some tweaks there. And the other thing that they need to do is they need to get rid of the dumb standards. Like, if we're, they're, they're apparently they're going to make the standards even harder. But that's fine. They want to go to world rankings. If the U.S. is going to send three to every event, they, we should be allowed to send whatever three we want. And we don't need to have people skipping a meet to go get a 10K qualifier or a 3K qualifier, 5K qualifier. The U.S. is going to send three. Just let us send whoever we want because there's nothing that beats the drama of the trials. But I, I people were asking me, like, on, on the live show we were recording after the meets, I was like, what do you think of this 5,000? I said, they're not really running a 5,000, are they? Sure enough, they did. I didn't even know who won until today. I, I didn't I, It didn't bother. I guess I should care. Maybe tears better than Hawker, but what does it do for me? Nothing. It's a mediocre time. I've told people I'm going to make a shirt like my parents went on vacation. All I got was a shitty T-shirt. It's going to say I skipped World Indoors, and all I got was a mediocre 5,000 PB. I mean, 1306 and 1308, we're really calling that mediocre. I think that's yes. a little bit harsh, Robert. It's mediocre. It's it's mediocre for a 20-year-old American to run 1308. Doesn't move the needle for me. Yeah, I don't think it's mediocre. I mean, they're pretty good times. It. <laughs> I don't know. It, like, the outcome of the race, like the fact that basically they the only thing that mattered was whether they got the standard or not, and they did, but... Yeah, I don't think it's fair to call it mediocre, but also, like, was I super excited about this thing? No, unless you're going... For, if it's a time trial, unless you're going for, like, an actual world or American record, I'm not going to get excited about some race just for the standard. You know, there's no record they're breaking. They're just trying to get the standard. There's no one else in the field. It's just basically a practice that they've decided to film. That's really all that was. And the IWF, or excuse me, World Athletics needs to figure something out. If they're going to make the standards harder, it's going to actually make more Americans go out and time trial even more to try to get the standard. They need to make, because a lot of guys aren't going to have points from the Diamond Leagues and all this other stuff. It's just not going to work out. They need to make it. So if a country's going to have three qualifiers, and they have a national championship, and they pick their top three, that counts. So then you're at least rewarding the national championship. Everyone will show up the national championship and then they can go run these other meets that are important. 
I guess you get the I, World Athletics League where they wouldn't run anything, but no, people will still try to go hit the standards because America might have be a country where eight guys can't hit the standard. So this this needs to be fixed immediately. Yes, there should be a dead window on World Indoor. Sorry, qualifying times don't count this this weekend. But I mean, can you fault him? Back to New York City half. I talked to Connor Mance. This is sort of interesting. He said his whole focus was on making the World Indoor team a 3K. I mean, he's a 10K cross guy, half guy, right? He did pretty well at USA. He's got like fifth place, I think. Um, so after Hawker didn't go, and who else was out? So Hawker didn't go. So Emmanuel Ball was on the team. Yeah. And Dylan Maggard was third. So he got elevated, and it was Maggard and Bohr. Connor Mance would have been in line to be the alternate, but the USA USATF didn't name it as an alternate. No, that's not true, John. No, I, I spoke to Connor. Oh, what he, he was offered a, he was offered a spot, and it was tough. He's like, "Look, I already shifted my focus to the half." I, I sort of prayed about it and decided to look. I've already changed my focus. I can't do that. He said his whole focus was going to do the World's three K, yet. He didn't make the team, decided to do the half, and then they come to him on the spot, and he's like, just sort of shows where World Indoors is in the mindset of a lot of these athletes. Because if this is World Outdoors, no way in hell does he turn down the spot. So then why did Drew Hunter go? Um, I'm not sure. I don't, know. I don't know if they had time to then go to Hunter or not. So that's one thing that we haven't – I didn't try to confirm. But yeah, Drew Hunter would have been the next guy online. So – and I think that would have been a good opportunity for him. He needs to get experience racing at the world level. But okay, if I'm gonna actually look at the three thousand result, five thousand results, I think it's a decent result for Cooper Tier. I'm pleased to see he's doing well. I think he's a big talent. Maybe I shouldn't have said mediocre, John. I would almost call it a meaningless five thousand PB. But I guess it's not meaningless because they got the standard and they need the standard. But come on, if you can't get the standard at the pre classic, you're not gonna. You don't deserve to go to worlds. But well, here's the thing: you keep saying this pre-classic. Like, are they are they running a pre-classic? What are they running a five thousand? I guess Joshua Chepta guy they've announced they're running the five thousand on Friday night at pre-classic. So that will be actually that will be good conditions. You know, assuming there's some second pack in that race and it's not just all about Chepta guy going for the record. I get it. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. I mean, I forgot one time in college, my best runner he had to get the damn regional qualifying time at the IC four A meet because. He got DQ'd at the Haps and all this crap, but like it was windy one day, so like he was, he was like, I had to go solo it. Yeah, I will say like World Athletics. The whole reason they made these standards tougher a few years ago, and why they're going to make them tougher still, most likely, is they want people out there racing in meaningful races. They want more people running on the Diamond League. They don't want Bowman. So they don't want athletes doing what the Bowman Track Club does, which is. They go and hole up at altitude for months at a time. They come out to run their standards, and then they go back up to altitude for the major championships, and they don't run anything. You know, They might run the pre-classic because it's in their contract, but they don't really run that many races. They don't want athletes doing that. They want them saying, you have to qualify based on your world ranking. They want them running at these meets. But in, and in theory, I can get behind that. I understand that, but in practice... I don't think that's how people will operate. Well, think about it. If only the superstars can hit the standards, well, then the superstars are the ones who don't need to race the Diamond Leagues. They can always hit the standards, rest on their laurels. 
I don't know. I'm not sure. I need some game theorists to come up with a solution, but you do, you do, you, you do what the tennis does ranking, get rid of the standards entirely period. But then, then if that happens, Robert, if you have there, one, people have issues with the rankings, but also like, let's say some collegian bursts out of nowhere and then gets third at USA's and can't get, they're like, oh, you don't have a high enough ranking to go to the world championships. What happens then? That's why they need to have a system that rewards a top three at the U.S. If the U.S. is going to have, you know, have eight guys who have the standard in the in the five k, or three guys who are going to qualify, top three at the U.S. should get you in. Top three in the U.S. in the two hundred, any event should get you in automatically. We're a top sprint nation. The ranking system needs to reflect that. If the U.S. Championship, I know it's not a Diamond League event or ath- event World Athletics owns, but if that's the one event. If that's the second most important event of the year, which it is for every U.S. athlete, that's how it should be. So the rankings somehow need to reflect that, right? I mean, there's no question, right? What's the, what's the second most important, or maybe in some ways the most important meet for U.S. athletes? You have to make the team first. is the U.S. championships. So the rankings system needs to reflect that. Okay. Anything else to discuss this week, guys? Yeah, I don't know if we have anything to preview, really. We might be grasping. I don't know what we're going to do for the Friday 15 this weekend, but. Oh, we'll have plenty to talk about. Don't worry about it. It's always fun stuff to talk about. All right. That'll do it for the show, except for the VIP supporting club members. It's now time to talk about how John is not really a world's traveler and how I'm too old to be going out to St. Patrick's Day. So the first night we get there in Belgrade, I was impressed. John was had things planned for St. Paddy's Day tells me to follow him out and we go to the local Irish pub and they had green beer and having a good time and some insiders were there heard some fascinating contract numbers alright guys if you want to hear the supporters club only talk from Rojo and John there's only one way to hear it you gotta be a let's run.com supporters club member let's run.com slash subscribe you get all the Let's Run content. You can save up to 20% on running shoes. So the subscription, it pays for itself, guys. I mean, you buy a pair of shoes, that's 150 bucks. You save 30 bucks. Monthly subscription, $9.99. You can get the full year right now, 75 bucks. You get a free t-shirt included. Pretty good deal. 